Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsey breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landis guy. He has done it again. Vaughn Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Dog two hands. Nikola Jokic. Save me by Grubauer with the left pad. Oh, goodness gracious me. Take a good luck. You won't see it for long. Two on home run. Trevor Story. Lock. Hands on. Touchdown. Number two for Sutton. Got it! Oh, man! That's from way downtown! And the Blue Arrow is flying at Pepsi Center. Score! It's too good to be true, but believe it! Oh, hail, hail! Welcome in to the Denver Sports Podcast, the DNVR Sports Podcast, whichever you prefer, really. Vowels are kind of overrated. I am your host, Jesse Montano, joined today by Patrick Lyons and Nathan Rudolph. We are here to uh, wrap up a conversation we had a few weeks ago uh, about analytics. And uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation as someone who is Trying, you know, I've been around sports my entire life. I've grown up playing hockey since I was teeny tiny. I am trying to still get a better understanding of them. And what two better folks than to do it than you guys? Uh, Rudo, I just spent the last hour and a half with you. I know how you're doing. Uh, how are you doing today, man? Doing well. Doing well. It's been, uh, it's been a fun, busy day talking sports. When uh, Even when the sports aren't good to talk about, it's yeah. still good to talk about sports. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that is what we're here to do today on the Denver Sports Podcast brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery. Before we get into the analytics, I've got to ask, just because I saw a couple headlines, Patrick, uh, can you give us just like a 60-second kind of update on where the MLB's at with this lockout? Players are upset at the owners, <laughs> and the owners don't want to pay the players. And it's uh, it's kind of a cluster. And, you know... I haven't really said this uh, on a podcast, but according to a couple of sources I've had, I have heard a couple of players say that they're ready to ready to come back maybe in June. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's been a challenge between these two sides, figuring it out where the owners don't want to give in at all. They, they like their profits and the players say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't fair. The system has kind of changed a little bit. So, we shall see what happens going forward, as always. 
We just uh, did they just move spring training, cancel pitchers and catchers reporting, right? Yeah, that should have happened this week. Uh, that has not happened. We haven't had the opening day moved back just yet or canceled, so to speak, uh, because there's still there's still a chance that they could compress spring training into a much shorter mm. period of time and thereby still have opening day as scheduled. There's a chance where maybe yeah. even you move opening day back a week. You keep the schedule the way it is. You just lop off the first week. You know, there are a lot of the, that potential, but that window is is getting smaller and smaller. If we don't have a deal by really the first week in March, yeah, I don't know when we're going to have a deal. Yeah, yeah, you really start. You're getting, you're at the point right now where you haven't, everything is still fixable. Yeah, yes, we're, yes. we're, we're coming up on, don't know. No return. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but hey, let's let's get into this a little bit more. So a couple weeks ago, the three of us got together and we talked a little bit, kind of just like the groundwork of analytics, what it is, where it kind of originated from, how different leagues, um, how, you know, especially the Denver teams have adopted it, who's been a little bit more resilient. But today I want to get in a little bit more in terms of how is that stuff measured and and why do we consider it? valuable right if you're watching a game what is it that you're seeing that you can back up with analytics what is it that you're seeing that you can kind of go in and educate yourself on using that because i know for me that is the part where i kind of the one that i think of all the time that i I actually kind of want to start here um in hockey it's the it's the goals saved uh above expected and any of these these metrics that are considered above expected above average Rudo, how is this stuff defined to be considered that's a scoring opportunity versus just another kind of shot on goal? So they have an entire chart, and you can go look this up. This is where the in hockey, the origination of the home plate area comes from is a chart that is set up and, and defines different areas of the ice. And essentially what they do is they take the statistical averages of shots from everywhere on the ice And they just take the percentage of, okay, X percent of shots go in from this spot. So Mm. you would expect if there's 10% of shots go in from a spot, you would expect that one One in 10 10. is going to be a goal. So if a goalie saves 10 out of 10 shots from that spot, he's saved 0.1 goals above average. Right. It's how that works. And it, it digs into numbers that I think a lot of people intuitively understand when you're watching Mm -hmm. a hockey game you can understand oh that guy just took a really high percentage shot and that goalie made a great save but maybe they just don't quantify it as much as analytics have started to do in sports right and and so patrick you know i'm again baseball is something that i'm i really have especially since come back to dnvr trying to ingrain myself in a little bit more what is something like this where, again, we, we are finally giving – because that is, is I actually think, one of the great things that analytics has done, especially in hockey, is it does give context to, uh, you know, shots on goal and and dangerous – you know, I'm using that, that kind of air quotes there – dangerous chances. I think back to that Avs team from 13-14 when they were giving up 50 shots a game, it felt like, every night. But the conversation was, oh, well, they're not giving up – you know, all the shots are coming from outside. So it's kind of whatever. What is that kind of equivalency in baseball and where have people really started to find value in that? Cause again, for hockey, yeah, you made 50 saves, but you only had to make 
five stops from a high danger chance was at a great end. That's a pretty extreme example, but you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. I think, you know, something similar to goals above average. And I think in a roundabout way, this will answer that question is expected batting average. So there's a, a, a website called baseball savant. And we think of what Statcast is and what they do is they look at the trajectory of the baseball, the exit velocity. So we think of velocity as how fast the, the pitcher threw or how you know fast the ball came out of the right. pitcher's hand. Well, if you're very strong or you have quick hands, you know, the ball flying off your bat, that's the expected velocity. So you could combine those statistics to come up with an expected batting average almost, hey, if a guy hits a ball with this kind of a launch at this angle and he hits it this hard, it's typically a base hit this many percent of time. And so you can look at certain plays and say, Hey, wow, the defense did a really good job in getting that ball. Or, ah, that was a little bit of bad luck because typically when a ball is hit with this low of a velocity or at this uh, much of a, of an angle, it's usually an out and the defense really failed there. So you can, you can kind of couple those things together and how that's impacted the play of baseball is, you know, I, I forget what the exact number is, but I know Daniel Murphy used to say it all the time where, you know, it's, it's something like 80% of all ground balls are outs. It's probably much higher than that, but damn, that's crazy. You don't want to hit the ball on the ground. So therefore you want to be swinging up a little bit more. You're changing your swing path and you're putting the ball in the outfield. And when that happens, you know, you're, you're trying to get as much impact as possible. It's why I don't know that we mentioned this on the first podcast talking about analytics, but batting average is really not a pointless statistic, but it's really from a bygone era because your slugging percentage is so much more important because it doesn't just say that you got a hit. It's that when you do get a hit, how many bases are you getting? And so yeah. it uses that. Whereas on base percentage, okay, you didn't get a hit, but guess what? You're getting on base a lot. It doesn't matter right. if it's a hit or otherwise on yeah. base percentages, how much do you not make it out? And so because of this expected batting average, you are, you're seeing the, the game turn into just three true outcomes. You're either taking a walk because you're being very selective, you're striking out or you're hitting a home run. So you, you set me up perfectly for the next thing I want to talk to you, but you just, you mentioned something that I hadn't really thought about. And, and it is funny that, I mean, we think of analytics, or at least I do, and, and maybe you guys are both going to like point and laugh at me. Uh, but you know, you, you think of analytics in terms of like how teams are constructing themselves, right? you know, we, we, we using these to, to identify value in players or, or, um, you know, where do players struggle? What's a, a, um, you know, a need that we need to fill, but I think you see it a lot, or you're, you're at least hearing the conversation more in the NFL. And then you just make the comment about, well, maybe we want to start coaching to not be hitting as many, you know, ground balls. You want to be swinging up in the NFL. We're hearing a lot more conversation around, analytics that say you should be going for it on fourth down once you're past a certain point on the field that you should be taking advantage of all four of those downs because where you're at on the field you're just as likely to hold your opponent to three or less points than if you were to punt and give up the field you know yada 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 for either of you how much are we starting to see analytics being taken from roster construction to actual coaching and saying you're, you know, using this, this is a better way to be playing. Sorry, Rudo. No, no, I, I think it's a ton. I, I think especially in hockey, 
people always, you know, they kind of reference this black book of, oh, you know, this team's got this the book on this goalie. They know where to shoot on it. <laughs> That's advanced analytics. It, they're taking a look yeah. at the shots that a goalie faces, and they're saying, hey, if you shoot from this spot on the glove side, you're going to score X percent of the time compared to if you shoot over here, uh, you'll score yeah. less. And And it's not – I don't think it's as much – coaching in the traditional sense of like teaching a player that he should always be doing this fundamental thing, but it's more of a case by case basis where you're saying this is a weakness or a strength that we need to be taking advantage of even down to a specific opponent or a specific player. The ridiculous shifts they have in baseball now is a (laughs) perfect example of this on a player by player basis. Yeah. Going back to the launch angle business, there's a really good book written a few years ago called Swing Kings by Jared Diamond, who writes for the Wall Street Journal. And in that, he talks about the revolution of of the rise in, in home runs, not just because of the baseball necessarily, but because of the fact that players are changing their swing to, to have it be a little bit more upward. And, and it's it's not really a, a, a new concept because it's something that, believe it or not, in the 40s, Ted Williams was already – talking about and was was doing those things but so often if if anyone played baseball for any length of time there's even kids right now that probably hear hit a line drive hit a line drive and it used to be you know hey a base hit back up the middle it's a base hit in any ballpark my uncle used to say it anytime you just kind of hit a line drive right over the the pitcher's head or a ground ball just to his left or right hey that's a base hit in any ballpark and nowadays as rudo mentions because of the shift that's no longer a base hit and with the shift, if you have a left-handed hitter and you've got all of those guys bunching up on the right side, you're not going to be able to hit a ball through them, either on a line drive or on the ground. So now you need to hit a ball over them. That's cr- it's crazy. I, I, I literally, I'm, I'm like actually absorbing all this right now in real time. And it's just, it's crazy to think about, right? Because you really do, going back to that, the, the first episode that we did of this, analytics really does feel like, it's just more stats. Yeah, it's just more stat keeping. But when you put it in this context, and Rudo, I think that's a great point. You know, you make about the the goaltenders in, in terms of it used to be. God, I feel like he gets beat on the glove side all the time. Yep. And no, now there's real data that says, yes, this guy gets beat up high on you know whatever the glove Wherever, side, the yeah. bottom side. Yeah, yeah. right. Pit, yeah, pick a spot on the net, right? But. That's now being baked into film sessions and coaching. And when you're, when you know, especially as you get closer to the playoffs, preparing for a, a seven game series, you know, the same thing holds true in, in, in baseball, defensive shifts, pitchers, where, where that ball is actually going. There is so much of it that is starting to cross over, I think. And, and that's the part that, and maybe again, correct me if I'm wrong here, that isn't really talked about a lot in that main in those main camps of analytics versus eye test it goes so much further beyond just review of the play or what did a player do it's no here's how you actually better yourself for either a specific opponent or patrick like what you're talking about in baseball literally having to say the way that we used to coach because of advanced analytics teams have adjusted that you now actually have to change what you are doing almost every day yeah, I think for every opponent. I think classically we think of analytics as as you're 
describing. It's almost like just as statistics. And we know right. that there's, and we can see that, right? We've got websites now, thankfully, you know, 20 years ago, that wasn't necessarily <laughs> the case, but now we've got an abundance of information where it's almost too noisy at times, but mm -hmm. there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we're not privy to that, that we don't know with that strategy element to, to give you an example, Nolan Arenado, if you, if you close your eyes and you think about a great Nolan Arenado play, you're either thinking of him charging in with it, with his bare hand, right. To, to, to make a play <laughs> or diving down the third baseline to that's steal a picture, double. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yep. that's what I'm, I'm getting to. That's his bread and butter. That's that highlight. Right. And he robs a lot of doubles. Well, the Rockies analytics department, ultimately, I think they put out to him, you know, that's not that many doubles that <laughs> we'd be giving up if that went down the line. In fact, you'd probably be stealing more singles that go right between you and story. So yeah. why don't you play a little bit over to your left, maybe a little bit further back as well, which is also going to cut down on the amount of barehanded plays. And yeah. well, I'll, I'll put it like this. Nolan continued to do an amazing job with his barehanded plays and backhanded <laughs> stops down the third baseline. But that's the kind of analytics that go into coaching and positioning and say, Hey, you know what? If we stand here, we're going to cut down on X percent of doubles or singles, whatever it is. And, and eventually right. in this episode, I'll, we can maybe, maybe even talk about the Breitich barrier and what that did and why, how that was kind of tied into analytics and why they put that up out in right center field. Cause it all goes back to, you know, if we change this thing, we we're going to lose a little bit on one end, but we're going to gain more on the opposite. And it's, it's worth that, that change. Right. That's it's it's it really is interesting to think about because I, I really have viewed it as as just kind of a statistic that you use to kind of measure things in in hindsight and it's really not that's really not the case. Um, Patrick, you know, you mentioned right there the on base percentage, right? And the the movie Moneyball. I know there's obviously a lot more to that season and and the book and all that stuff, but that is what that you know that's kind of like at the core of of what they make that movie about is we don't need to replicate the, the exact number of home runs that we're losing, but just can guys get themselves in scoring position. And for hockey, I think a lot about Corsi, right? That's maybe the one that m people hear more about than anything else. And it's funny how plus minus <laughs> you it's kind of that outdated stat where for a long time, people looked at that and said, Oh, that is a great way to judge how an effective a player is. But once we started getting a little bit more context and a little bit more uh, av availability to technology and, and these types of numbers, we realized actually that is pretty damn flawed. Rudo, what's the difference between Corsi and plus minus? So I love this conversation because plus minus is a very early version of an advanced statistic. It really is. It's yeah. just not a very good one. <laughs> and you'll you ask anyone who who's in the advanced statistic markets in the area, they will tell you there are a ton of stats that are interesting, but bad. <laughs> they don't mean much. They don't really apply very well and they don't cover anything you really care about. So that's kind of what has happened with plus minus. The thing with plus minus is it just doesn't tell you a whole lot unless you're looking at the outliers. If you look at the mm -hmm. extremes of plus minus, that's an indicator that there's something going on that you need to dig deeper in. If you're a random dude who's plus 17, nobody cares. That doesn't mean anything because right. that's just tracking more goals have been scored on the ice when you're on the ice than have been scored against you, which it's not nothing. But also 
you can be plus 17 and have literally nothing to do with anything happening on the ice right. to make right. that happen. Uh, there's a couple other more specific laws with it that we don't have to get into. But when you compare that to Corsi, which is just shot attempts, just so we're clear, I hate the way hockey is named their advanced statistics. Um, <laughs> I swear that is the biggest barrier for hockey. It, it, moving advanced analytics forward is half the words people don't even like. It's like, that's not an English word. Yep. <laughs> you can, when you look at things like Corsi, you can break down what's happening on the ice at a much more specific level than, oh, the puck went in the net. When you look at plus minus, you have to take in so many factors. You have a guy who's minus 20, but when he's on the ice, their goaltender has an 800 save percentage. And it's like, well, sure, he gives up a lot of goals, but his goalie can't make a save. Right. And and there's just so much context is required to make plus minus matter. Whereas with something like Corsi, it's very straightforward. Oh, your team is shooting the puck more than the other team. Very simple, right. very straightforward. And it's part of a bigger picture, yes, but it needs to be a digestible stat that stands up to a certain extent on its own. Context is always going to matter, but for simple shot attempts, you go, hey, the team has to have the puck, shoot the puck. Yeah. And if you're shooting the puck more, you probably have the puck more. Yeah, plus minus is ultimately it's a counting stat. It's not a it's not a rate stat. And that's on the baseball yeah. side, RBI runs batted in. You go, oh hey, are you when you're at the plate, are you getting the guys on the bases home? And you could say, well, if you hit a hundred RBI, you obviously did a really good job. But there was a season in which Joe Carter, I think it might have been 93, when the Blue Jays went and won their second consecutive World Series. He had, I don't know if they had 100, he might have even only had 99, but he had like 198 RBI opportunities because he had two Hall of Famers and a, ver and a Hall of Very Good and John Olerud in front of him. Ricky Henderson and Roberto Alomar were in front of him in the lineup. So Hall of Very Good. I yeah. love that. <laughs> He, he was like blessed, but then you, you take a guy and that's why analytics are important to say, well, he only played in 81 games. He only had 22 RBI. Well, what if every time he came up and there was a runner on second base, he drove that runner in and all the other at bats, there was nobody on base. You can't just see that from a counting stat, right. you need more of a rate stat, like on base percentage, which, which you mentioned Jesse in in Moneyball because ultimately what they were talked about was, you know, there is a clock in baseball it's outs. That's how you define time is you only get 27 of them. And really the bigger takeaway from Moneyball wasn't just, hey, on base percentage and slugging is valuable. It's that there are elements of the game that are underappreciated. It's where can you find a player that the league is not recognizing their abilities and thus they are not paying them very well in, in free agency and and, and they're very easy to have. In fact, I just recently wrote an article on the Rocky side about how Colorado started Moneyball. It's ultimately the scene before the movie starts. Scott Hatterberg, played by Chris Pratt, it was a member of the Colorado Rockies. They acquired him in a trade for Pokey Reese. The next day, he was released. And then 12 days later, the Oakland Athletics said, hey, let's... Let's go win a championship. Let's go make a movie. And that all started with Colorado not understanding that element of, you know what? This guy is good at not getting out. He might not be good yeah. defensively behind the plate, but you know, if we put him at first base, even if he's not great defensively, the benefits that we get from him not making it out with his keen eye to get on base is worth a lot more. And like Rudo says, it, it, those are all the things that give it much better context than just a counting statistic. Well 
and and rate stats are extremely interesting because if you really want to, you can turn just about any stat into a rate stat with the correct context. Yeah. And especially in hockey, you have to because you're comparing <laughs> a guy on a first line who's playing 22 minutes a night to a guy on a third line who's playing 12. And yeah. of course, the guy who's playing more time is going to produce more. Now it's more complicated than that, but that's where you find value is guys that maybe you need to give them more opportunity. Well, is and, there and something called expected plus minus? There, there's or, not expected plus minus. There is expected goals for and against, though. Right. Well, that's where you take the context of, hey, when these five players are on the ice, they score this much, this many goals per minute on the ice. And so, like, yeah, you could crunch all of yeah. those things down to kind of get a better idea. They do that in baseball where you say, hey, your earned run average, which is a rate stat. Like, these are the runs you earned that you gave up. Not the errors, but the ones that earned well, then there's expected earned run average where you say, actually, based on the amount of walks, strikeouts, and home runs you gave up, this should have been your ERA. And so really, you got a bit unlucky when yep. your defense maybe didn't help you out as much as would have expected. So you weren't right. as bad as what your ERA says you were. Often used for a definition of, of luck to a certain extent because you're saying you played better or worse than what your actual numbers are showing. So yeah. – you know, you have to take some context into that. There are things like high-end players will regularly outperform some of the expected stats just because of that's how averages work. And some players are better than average players. But it's a very interesting way to quantify historically things that people have considered unquantifiable. Well, we should not let Jesse jump in at all here. Yeah, just you and I keep No, this is perfect. This is perfect. This is great because I want Jesse to be a living meme. I'm just this theme come out of his head. I want him to turn into the emoji of the brain blowing up. What do you got next, Rudo? Come on. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Come on. Let's you guys going. just just keep keep it keep it rolling here. Yeah. Well, no, but but I was going to say uh Rudo, you know, you said something there that that stuck out to me because I remember growing up before a lot of this stuff really started to take hold. Right. Um, and you'd hear about the guy that you were just talking about. Oh, well, he was really good on the fourth line in Florida. So if he comes here and you just give him some more opportunity, imagine how good he'll be. And 99 times out of a hundred, that guy would get somewhere, they'd give him more opportunity and yep. he would fall flat on his face. Yep. And Patrick, I'm sure there was, you know, there's, there's a thousand equivalents in, in baseball and, and every sport really, you know, I think back, <laughs> Oh God, a couple of years ago when the Broncos did the whole case Keenum thing, it's like <laughs> everyone who was looking at that knew what was coming a like a mile and a half away. It's like, wow. Career backup who has one good year, <laughs> probably not going to go great as, yep. as a starter, but, but it, it does, it gives context to those types of conversations where it's no longer, there's not a lot of like talking yourself into it. There's hard data to back up what you are or are not seeing. Yeah. The Rockies it, are in the exact opposite position of <laughs> what you're talking about in the sense that like with Case Keen or even Matt Castle, remember him back when, uh, when Brady yeah. got hurt, they got, got some good pieces for them to the, to the chiefs, but certain organizations will set their players up for success and make them look good. And because they, they are good. And, and in baseball, you know, that's platoons where you say, Hey, you're only going to hit against left-handed pitchers or a left-handed starter when you're only going to play when there's a righty. And so you can set guys up for that success and then they go elsewhere and you go, wow, this guy was really good in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Now we've got him and wow, he's not very good. He's overexposed. 
And the Rockies are actually the opposite because their players are almost already overexposed. So everybody kind of downplays their abilities. And when they, when they go somewhere else, you go, wow, actually that guy was really good. We yeah. almost had no context for understanding how hard it is to play at altitude or how hard it is to go from 5,000 feet above sea level down to sea level where the pitches move differently. And this happens every other week. And so the Rockies have this weird situation where it's the exact opposite. You almost don't know how good they are until they go elsewhere. Until they go somewhere else. The the pitching in baseball and the altitude and all that stuff, the, the way that the air affects the ball, that's one of like the craziest phenomenons in sports to me that that that's and I guess maybe kicking in football is the only other one that's kind of close, but it is just nuts how much um, that affects. I want to hear about uh, that Breitich barrier. That was something I had not heard of before, but I do want to remind you guys that this is the Denver Sports Podcast brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, also brought to you guys by our great friends over at DraftKings. <clears throat> Listen, hoop fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with same-game parlays, becoming one of my favorite things to do on DraftKings. Uh, combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And of course, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Also brought to you guys by our uh, new friends over at Evoca TV. You haven't been able to watch the Nuggets or Abs. Uh, you're not alone. And Evoca TV is a totally new uh, TV TV delivery system that is less expensive, more efficient, and offers a superior picture than legacy provider. Service includes uh, local networks like Altitude Sports, as well as a ton of other national channels. Evoca TV is growing constantly, and they're adding new channels to their lineup all the time with service now available in Denver, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Boise, and Twin Falls, Idaho. Again, they have Altitude TV. That could basically they, they could just run an ad that says Evoca yep. TV. We've got altitude. I literally, would pay their price <laughs> for just altitude. Let right. alone the other stuff. <laughs> right. So, like that, that could be the whole thing uh, for for them here uh, in Denver. Go to evoca.tv slash dnvr. That's evoca.tv slash dnvr for only twenty five dollars a month plus a receiver. Uh, you can get altitude, and then yeah, everything else that comes with it at twenty five bucks. At this point, it's worth it for altitude alone. No contracts, no hidden fees, and that price is locked in for two years. Um, Evoca is spelled E-V-O-C-A dot TV slash D-N-V-R. Jesse Montano here with Patrick Lyons and Nathan Rudolph. We're talking analytics, a little bit better how to understand them. Uh, you two gentlemen joined me a couple weeks ago. I thought it was a fun, interesting conversation. And honestly, I've already gotten a ton out of this one. We're 30 minutes in. Uh, so let's keep going. 
before I move on to the next question that I had for you guys, Patrick, what's the, what's the Breidich barrier and how has that been formed by analytics? Do you, you've heard of this Rudo? I'm curious. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. So interestingly enough in Baltimore, they're doing, well, it's not similar, but in Baltimore, if you haven't caught wind, but in, in Camden yards is amazing ballpark. It's set about a whole, you know, new ballpark revolution. It was really the first of its kind. And in course field was really the second of its kind, but they are moving back the fence in left field about 30 feet. So they're taking out about a thousand seats. It's, you know, it's a decent, you know, size construction. I'm sure it might even cost, you know, a million dollars or so. And the, the reason for that is because they're finding that there's a lot of baseballs that land in the first, second or third row uh, that, you know, would help their pitchers more than, than hurt their batters. Free agent pitchers are not really interested in, in pitching there because of that. It's a little bit more Homer prone. So they are adjusting, you know, based on all that information. And so when Jeff Breidich, when Jeff Breidich, yeah, you can, you can do that. You immediately change the environment that's around you and teams do it, you know, not frequently, but it definitely happens. And it's really with the fences and, and whatnot. Uh, it's, it's totally legal as long as you do it during the off season. So you, you do it fairly for the, for the entirety of, of 162 yeah. games. But when Breidich, Jeff Breidich took over, uh, the GM position from Dan O'Dowd, you know, his little analytics team basically crunched the numbers and they essentially found out that there were a lot of balls that left the yard in right field to right center. You know, there's that auxiliary scoreboard, uh, in, yeah. in right field kind of where the foul pole is next to the bullpen. And so basically it, it blocks the bullpen almost entirely. Yeah. Uh, and there's also a small s- sliver uh, in left field when the left field foul pole is. And they said, you know what? Our pitchers tend to give up a lot of home runs to these areas more than our hitters get. You know, uh, a lot of that had to do with some of the left-handed hitters, I think in the division at that time. And they looked and said, you know what? I think we may have more, gain more of an advantage by putting that, barrier up that wall up it was a nickname in fact that was given by trevor story that he didn't call it that it was just this fence and then you know, the guys <laughs> in the clubhouse it kind of came out that they had you know mockingly called it this brightage barrier and the study that's shown was done by a friend of mine uh, nathaniel Sh- sunshine over on rocks pile was that it did keep more balls in the ballpark certainly you see a lot of balls clanking off that fence and it did help the rockies uh prevent more run scoring than, than they lost. So it was a good thing, but it's pretty negligible. And really, when you think about the fact that in a ballpark, both teams are playing it, it's, it's pretty fair. So unless you just don't develop left-handed hitters, then (laughs) okay, that, that might help, help you out. If you mainly have right-handed hitters that have a wide open left field and no fence, but if the other team typically has left-handed hitters, then you are keeping those balls in the ballpark, and then they're only a double and a triple. So I don't know that it was necessarily a failed experiment. Uh, really, no harm, no foul. It's probably better for safety for the guys that are pitching out in the bullpen. They don't have to worry <laughs> about getting hit uh, with, with as many baseballs. But it's that kind of you know interesting forward thinking that front offices around the game look at and say, hey, you know what? We might be able to benefit more from this by changing our dimensions. Or if we change our dimensions, we might also change the way we scout and develop players too, which give us that little That's bit crazy. of extra edge we may need. That's so wild. That, I mean, it almost feels like the San Jose Sharks did that. Well, let's just move the visiting bench inside the blue line and we'll catch Gabe Landeskog offside as he's changing. 
no, that's uh, that's crazy. I, I didn't know that any of that happened in any ballpark, let alone with the Rockies. But again, that all goes back to, as I'm learning here more and more on the show, it's not just statistic keeping. There's real life data, live actionable data that you can take and implement from game to game, week to week, season to season. It's crazy. Um, we don't have a, we don't have a ton more time here today, but I do want to ask each one of you guys. And, and again, whichever one of you wants to go first, what do you think? And it doesn't have to be in the sport specifically that you cover, but I assume it will be. Um, what is a, a, an advanced statistic, an analytic, whatever you want to refer to as that you, that you look at and you say, that is where I see the most value or the most change, the most whatever. The, the one that maybe you like the most that you find the most value in um, and why Rudo, do you want to go? Um, sure. So uh, I do want to stress, I think it's important to look at a big picture of advanced statistics. One statistic, no matter what it is, is never yeah. going to tell you a full picture. Uh, but one of my favorite statistics to look at is uh, expected goals for percent in hockey. You're looking at a player who let, let, I'll look this up right now. Let me, let me look up Eric Johnson really quick because I think mm-hmm. it can tell a lot about a single player. When you look up something like this, cause you'll see a player and you'll say, you know, I, I don't think he's played very good or I think he's played really well. And if you look at an expected goal for 4%, it's going to tell you maybe how accurate or inaccurate you are with a pretty decent margin of error. EJ, I think a lot of people have had problems with his defense this year. Uh, some of the decisions he makes, he's at a 48.74% expected goals, 4%. So he's just slightly under even really so, not so that bad. 50% is even. Yeah. yeah 50% is you're expected to give up as many goals as you get. And so, go ahead. It, it's just uh, people often tend to view a lot of sports and statistics in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's a yes or a no. And the reality is most statistics are not that way. It's somewhere on a scale of gray. And so you have to find the middle ground. And that's what a, a statistic like expected goals for helps you with. Like you said, you're never, never going to be able to tell a full picture with one, but there are some of these that are as close to a, a, a full size snapshot as you're going to get, um, given how much things change and, and how fast games move and all that stuff. Um, so no, I, I, I think that's super interesting when it, like you said, it, it more of gives you a, a very solid foundation to start on. Uh, Patrick, what do you got? So I kind of alluded to this before when talking about an expected ERA. Uh, ultimately, an expected ERA you might look at is something called FIP, fielding independent pitching. It, it could, again, it goes back to the three those three true outcomes: walks, strikeouts, and home runs. But that's the only thing the pitcher really controls. Once the ball is put in play, who knows what happens? And especially in a place <laughs> like Coors Field, which we know it to be, you know, somewhat homer prone. But the biggest issue with Coors Field is the fact that the outfield is so large. Uh, it's the largest in the national league, second largest in all baseball, 
behind Kansas City. And so that just means more balls will end up dropping in where it probably should have been a hit. You know, look at an expected batting average and say, oh, you know what? That's an out in a lot of other ballparks because the outfielders huh. didn't need to play so deep. And so it's not even the home runs that kill Rockies pitchers. It's those rallies that continue to go on and that ball that drops in that should have been an out was a hit. And now when the guy on deck hits the home run, it's a two run homer instead of a solo shot. So fielding independent pitching looks at walks, strikeouts and home runs. Cause that's what a pitcher controls. But then you even have expected FIP X FIP. So you say, well, you know what? Not every home run is created equally. You mm -hmm. can also project how many home runs a pitcher should have given up based on a series of, of details, whether it's launch angle, it could be the ballpark. Cause again, as we talked about, the dimensions are different. So you yep. can even look at it in that perspective. So a guy like Herman Marquez, who we saw pitch in the all-star game, you know, ends his season with an ERA a little bit better than Antonio Senzatella with four, with a 4.40 ERA, a little bit worse than Kyle Freeland. But when you look at, fielding independent pitching, the three things he can control. It actually was a little bit better than that. It was 3.86. But then when you look at expected FIP, it was 3.64. So really, the, some of the home runs he gave up probably wouldn't have been home runs in other places. And so this year in 2022, if he has slightly better luck, then his overall ERA will probably start to come down as well. Again, I think the big conversation here is advanced analytics are all about giving you context. Yeah. For a number, for a situation, for a specific player, for an entire team, whatever you're looking at, it gives you more data to make a knowledgeable decision about them and, and understand what is actually going on instead of, uh, in some cases, especially in hockey, just an arbitrary number. Right. And the yeah. reason is because we can't trust our eyes. Right. We think we know what a great player looks like or a great performance looks like. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we're wrong every time, but we can't always trust our eyes. And so analytics allows us to see the things our eyes can't show us. Well, and, and it's also it's it's become a really great tool. You know, obviously you think of scouting when you talk about this, but, you know, here at DNBR, we do game grades. I, I know, you know, you guys, Rockies, you do them a little bit less frequently because it would just be You'd never, yeah. You'd never stop writing. You never stop writing game grades. grades. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah, you just you. We'd have to bury you still writing game grades, but, um, but you know, we we do them a lot. And over the course of a sixty-minute hockey game, or you know, a three-game series in baseball, it is really, really tough to watch every player and form an opinion on every player, um, and and how did they play? Where did they make the mistakes? And so. Like you said, we can't always trust our eyes because I'm trying to think of who it was. Uh, there was a player for the abs right before the all-star break that I was doing game grades on that they had one play that really stuck out to me. Wow, that was a phenomenal play. I went back and looked after the game. They got caved in all night, but they made one spectacular play and yep. that's what my brain remembered. Yep. So like my brain remembered them in a very positive light, but then you go back and look you're like, ah, actually, no, you're right. I, that was the only time I saw him with the puck on his stick, not below, be below his own goal line. Like, holy shit, because it's, <laughs> it's tough to, to, uh, you know, AJ said it yesterday on our show last night on our, our post game show. It's impossible to be well-versed on 32 NHL teams. So yep. you have to lean on some of that stuff to fill in the gaps of, of where you miss, your eyes can miss, et cetera, et cetera. 
when you when you're watching a sport, uh, when you're a fan, a sport is built on moments, right? You're going to remember all oh, the game winning goal, all oh, this amazing play that a guy happened, mm-hmm. but it's really easy to forget the 59 minutes of hockey that all had to happen to lead to that moment. Right, so right. all of that hockey also matters, even if you don't remember it. And and that's where some of this comes in. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can of course be, you know, this is where it does get kind of fun. If the game is big enough and Tyson Jost has a terrible night, for 59 minutes, but he scores the game winner in the last minute. It's like, ah, fuck it. Everything else is forgiven. <laughs> You're great. Um, at, and that's, that's why sports are fun. That's why you play at the end of the day. It, the only thing that matters at the end of a hockey game is who has more goals, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't actually matter how you get there. It's just that you do it, but advanced analytics are going to give you avenues to get there a lot more often when you start taking advantage of them. Now, now my brain is blown. More goals in <laughs> hockey is how you win. Okay. <laughs> now I learned something good. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> I know we're talking, we're getting deep here. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Well, guys, I know, uh, I know we're, we're really ramping up, uh, you know, for both of our seasons, there's a lot going on. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time, Patrick, you're driving all over the state to make this happen. So thank you guys very much. Uh, I, I'd love to honestly kind of have this be something that I have you two back on and we just, kind of keep going, you know, once a month or every few weeks or whatever, just kind of keep going on the analytics discussion. Cause I think it's, uh, I think it's good. I think it's educational. And, and I think this is kind of the direction we're going. So you might as well lean into it. Right. Ludo, um, we, we, it sounds like we may need to invent our own statistics and, and analytics at this point. We're going to yeah. some stats. Oh my God. <laughs> the, I'm going to come up with the dumbest stat ever. We need an acronym for, R-U-D-O. I, I don't know what that would be, what hockey words could work. But like, oh, dude, he had seven and a half Rudo last night. Like, that's yeah. that was a big game. Really Damn, unusual yeah. dumb optics, Rudo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, there we go. Maybe that's maybe that'll even be the name of the episode going forward. Uh, for Rudo, for Patrick, uh, great producer you hear behind the scenes. I'm Jesse Montagna. Thank you guys all so much for listening.